by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. You matter. Welcome home. Well, we started the month with a, a sermon called The Wee Little Church. We is in W-E, not the W-E-E, we little church. But uh, the we, meaning the we is more important than the I. Then last week, does anybody remember what we talked about? That we're a warm, fun-loving family. That the church is a family. And so this week we're going to continue, and like I said, today's message is called Home is Where the Heart Is. Church is a home. How many remembers your first place of your own. Some of you haven't had one yet, I don't think, but when you, ha- when you paid the rent, when you had your own place, I remember the summer of 1985. I'm dating myself here. I had went to one year of junior college, but I was lovesick for my high school sweetheart, so I moved back to Memphis, and I was the only one in my family in Memphis. Didn't have any money. I had a 1977 Puke green Datsun B210. Have you ever seen a Datsun B210? Not a lot to brag about. Does anybody even remember the brand Datsun? <laughs> Some of these guys were what, Datsun? What is that? They turned into Nissan or something. But anyway, I drove up here, found some ad or something. I don't remember how I found it. But I, I signed the lease. Well, there really wasn't no lease, but I moved in with a guy that had an apartment for $60 a month rent. That should tell you something. <laughs> it was a one-room efficiency, and it was on Cleveland and Jefferson Street in Memphis. <laughs> now, any streets named after dead presidents in Memphis back in 1985 wasn't the safest place. And do you know what I mean by one-room efficiency? That means it was one room. That means the kitchen, the bathroom, all of it was right there. We didn't have beds. I had a mattress on this side, and he had a mattress on that side. And the neighborhood. There were, there were street walkers walking up and down the street. There was pimps. There was drug dealers going, going bonanza there. They, I mean, it was one of the worst neighborhoods in Memphis. And I remember one time that my grandmother and my brother came up to visit. And they parked on the road. And they hadn't been there five seconds when the police pulled up and said, Ma'am, are you lost? (laughs) She said, No, my grandson lives there. He goes, Okay, well, you need to move it on down just as soon as you can. And so so I came out and said hello. And I said, Grandma, why don't you stay in the car? Heath, you come with me. And my little brother was with her. And he came with me, and we walked up the stoop and passed the two or three guys smoking the wacky weed on the front step, you know. Went and got in my apartment, and, and I turned around and looked at my little brother, and he's six years younger than me, so he must have been about, I was 19 at the time, I guess. He must have been, due to math, 13. His eyes were like this. He was so scared. And so I said, Heath, I'm going to take a shower real quick, and then I'll go with y'all. I said, here, you hold this while I'm gone. And I gave him an aluminum baseball bat. 
And I was just kidding. But he wasn't. His eyes was like this when I got out of the shower. He was still Because <laughs> I had told him the stories, you see. They used to steal all my stuff without asking. They, I don't know how they did it. Somebody had a key or something. But every time I'd leave for work, they would rifle. They would go in my apartment. They wouldn't jimmy anything. It was, the door would still be locked when I got back. But they had gone through all my stuff and stole whatever was of value. The only thing they would leave us was this big hot plate that we'd cook our macaroni and cheese on. That's about all we could afford. <clears throat> I mean, $60 a month. Where are you going to get money like that, you know? <laughs> but anyway, what I didn't like is one time they stole my Datsun B210 out of the parking lot. And that's not the worst part of it. They brought it back. <laughs> and had a half-eaten pizza laying in the floorboards, you know. And don't worry, I didn't eat it, although I thought about it. <laughs> I was starving back then. I lost 40 pounds in that summer, by the way. That's how bad it was on me. But it was a rough neighborhood. They say home is where the heart is. But I think my heart was in the wrong place. <laughs> or either that wasn't my home. Thank goodness I didn't stay there long. So our scriptural foundation this month has been in Ephesians 2. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start off in verse 20, I think it is. Everybody happy to be in the house of the Lord? Man, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I love to be with you guys. I love just the excitement, the atmosphere where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of it. Man, if we can get him in the midst of us, let's gather all the time, you know. I could do church every night of the week if they'd let us. Well, anyway, it says in verse 20, together, now if you're following along on your sheet, I think that's one of your answers. Together we are his house. Say house. Say home. Which one sounds better, house or home? Home sounds a little more warm, doesn't it? Together we are his home, so I'll just say that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, and that's everybody that's not a Jew, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God lives by his spirit. In other words, we, we are the home that God chooses to live in. Of course, he's got his throne in heaven or whatever, but he wants to live in our hearts. We're the home where God wants to live. He could live anywhere. He could have his own island. He could have his own planet. He could have his, he's got it. In fact, he does have all those things. Everything is his. But he wants to live, the, out of all the places, the beauty that he has created, he wants to live in us. In fact, he used to live in a little old box. little old box called the Ark of the Covenant. You remember? They carried him around in the desert just so he could be with his people. They couldn't get too close to the box because his holiness would zap them like a bug zapper, you know. We're full of sin and he's holy and, we, and we're gone. And so when they finally settled down and they built a, a, a temple for him, a more temp, a permanent temple, they put it, it, the box, and they put it behind this big veil, this big thick curtain, so that nobody could get close and get zapped. <laughs> and once a year, they would let the high priest, only the high priest, after he'd gone through some cleansing ceremonies, they would let him behind the curtain, and he'd go in and make atonement for our sins once a year. But God, that wasn't his best. That wasn't his ultimate plan. He, like I said, he wanted to live in us. 2 Corinthians 6.16 in the Message Translation says, 
I'll live in, th- I'll live in them, I'll move into them. <laughs> Good thing you didn't bring too much stuff. <laughs> you know. But I'll live in them, move into them, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. What kind of wonderful God are we serving? He cares so much more about us than we even realize. It's not even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Excuse me if I just rattle off what's in my heart for a moment. I love God. The more I find out about my God, the deeper I go, the better he gets. I cannot believe how good this deal is, this new covenant. Because you see, he sent Jesus to make this possible. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to take away our sins, to cover us with his blood so that we could be made holy in his sight and we wouldn't be zapped next time we got up next to him. He made our heart a temple. Well, at least the capability to be a temple. Sin, dead has been dealt with on the cross. The only thing stopping us from letting the Spirit of God is is us not receiving the free gift of, of our salvation. You remember when Jesus was on the cross? He said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He died. And when it did, a great earthquake took over, and that, that veil that was covering the box that separated man from the holy God was rent from top to bottom, meaning God did it from the top. And now, the dwelling of God is with his men, with his people. He can be in us. He can live where, there's no more separation between the common man and the holy God. He's made us righteous. He's made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have become God's new address. Where does God live? What's your address? Where are you at? (laughs) Right now, he's living in 983 Goodman Road. That's where we are. Where you find the church, you always find God, his presence. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the real church now. I've seen some churches that don't care anything about God. They're just doing it for ritual, and it's dusty in there and dry, but... Where you find a true church of God, you're going to find God's presence, his power, his provision in his people. That's the way he does things. You see, God cares for his house. Do you believe me? Isn't it it your responsibility if you're a homeowner to care for your house? You know, you don't just let the grass grow up. You'll be be hearing from the city. You don't, you got to take care of your property. You got to take care of your home. And God does. And he's given us so many precious promises. Most of the promises of God are to the church. For us corporately, as a family, to activate, to pray for one another. We're not just supposed to always... I know I did that at first when I was a new Christian, but I learned now, man, if I pray for others, God will take care of my needs. You know, I used to spend all my time with this laundry list of things I would throw out to God. I need, I need, I need. But it says, pray with all prayer and supplication and the Spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints in Ephesians chapter 6. So you pray for all saints. Man, get off self. God will take care of you. You take care of his business, which is others. You serve others and God, man, he will take care of you. I promise you. He's done it for me. And so when one of us hurts, when one of us has needs, the rest of the family responds. We don't just let people go through stuff. You shouldn't go through hard times and and sad and all alone by yourself. That's what the devil wants you to do. If you're not used to being in a loving church, then let me give you a hint. 
don't hide things from your pastor. Don't hide things from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm the pastor, and, I, and, and sometimes I can be there for everybody, but sometimes I can't. That's just one of me. But that's why it's all of us together. You know, in fact, the Bible doesn't tell us that the pastor shall visit all the sick. The pastor shall, shall visit all the downtrodden. It says that he shall equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's you. Man, we can, some churches are putting everything on the pastor, and everybody feels no obligation, and they have no buy-in. They feel no part of that church. And they just sit around and gripe because the pastor doesn't do everything. <laughs> well, I'm just going to tell you up front, I can't do everything. I wish I could. I wish I could be there for everybody. But if you got something, call me. Call somebody. Don't just sit on it. Don't just sit in the heartache and feel like you're all alone when you have a whole big family that cares. Raise your hand if you care for people in this room. Look around. Who you going to call? You going to call Ghostbusters? Some of you dialing up Ghostbusters on TV and mourning with them when you could call a brother or sister that will, will encourage you in the faith. Man, how many was in the pre-service prayer this morning? People was coming this morning, oh, you don't know what kind of day I had. Oh, I'm hurting here, I'm hurting there. We had some testimonies going on this morning, they weren't good ones. It was like we was in the test and still in the moanies. But you know what we did? We stirred one another up in prayer. By the time we left out of there, the building was shaking. You know, I was like, wow, I felt like a new man. And that's what we'll do for one another. And if you're going through good times, same thing. I have seen secretly on Facebook, had to find out secondhand, some of you got married, some of you got, you know, baptized or whatever you got. You, you, you got a new car or something, you don't, you're not calling anybody in the church to rejoice with you. Oh, how sad is that? We're here for one another. We got each other's back. Some people are moving. They, they got these things going on, and I find out about after it's over. Sometimes when they're moving, that's good. But <laughs> I could have at least said, be warm and be filled, brother. You know. <laughs> but we, we need to be there for one another, Right? We do. Uh, we've had some awesome testimonies. I, I like testimonies. We're going to have a testimony today. First, we had Mitch and Angela, who hadn't been back since. <laughs> Never mind. We're not doing testimonies. <clears throat> no, I, I'm sure there's a reason. They're still on their honeymoon, probably. And then last week, we had Daniel and Holly there. I think they're in the back. They're in the nursery. Thank goodness. Today... Are they here? Where's Tony and Denise? Oh, hiding in the back. They sit right there nine times out of ten. Okay. Tony and Denise, y'all give them a big hand. They're going to come up and tell what the church means to them. All right, well... Why I love this church is because it saved my life, not necessarily physical being and all that, but spiritually, because we've been going to a church, and we were serving. We were youth ministers when they let us be how we wanted to be, but uh, I wasn't happy. I didn't feel the presence of God, and one Wednesday night, a guy was working. He said, hey, can you come over and play bass with this guy playing piano? It's just him and Richard playing drums. I said, okay, you know, whatever. You know, I thought... 
you know, we'll be up there doing how great they are, something like that. No, this was Javon. Y'all know Javon, been here. All of a sudden, Javon looked at me. He goes, it's like this. Do, 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 do. And he started jamming on the piano, and Richard started going. So I started playing bass. You know, I said, hey, this is a good groove. I like this. So going to the service, Javon's getting into it. I mean, praising the power down. I mean, he's he's getting off into it. And he talks walking off because the altars, you know, and I'm over here still. Do, 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 you know, scared to death. Then I look up, and Richard looks at me, throws his sticks down, goes hallelujah, and starts doing an Indian dance around the church, <laughs> screaming. And I'm still over there going, do, 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 looking down and all that. But, and then, you know, it, it, kinda, it was kind of weird. It scared me. It kind of freaked me out because I was, wasn't used to that. I was used to kneeling and praying and doing what that little booklet said. And so they said, well, how about a Sunday morning? I said, well, I've been playing 12-string, but the priests don't like the guitar and the he said, it's not really scriptural, so, okay, I'll do it. Richard and Gary Wilson and Guy take me into a hot water heater closet. And I said, what are we doing? He said, we're going to pray. So I sit down and started, our Father, who art in heaven. And all of a sudden, we just up to yell, hallelujah. It's pitch black in here, y'all. I'm hanging, I got my hand on the doorknob, one eye open, like that. Because I was getting scared. I never heard nothing like that, but you know what? I'll be honest with you. If that hadn't happened and I hadn't let my guard down, let these spiritual religious chains go with my heart, and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that's why I love this church. I Through this church and their prayer and their patience with me as I grew to, and I'm still growing, but I've learned... I know Jesus now. I don't know religion. I know Jesus, and I know God. And I know he's living inside of me, and he's bringing stuff out of me I never knew was in there, and uh, I just love this church because there are real people here, and God's in this place, and if you ever hear him praying in tongues, don't freak out because there's power in it. John, you got it a few weeks ago. Is there power in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So anyway, if you have any, this church will teach you about God. And if you don't learn, it just, God's here. I'm telling you, God's present. This church has been through some knocks, I mean, hard times, and we're still here. We're still here. I got, matter of fact, I got baptized at the old church, the one that Buddy Davis started. I got baptized in that baptism. I was 42 years old, and I, it, it changed my life. You know, I know God now. I know Jesus now, and I know the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is right here inside of me, and he's not through with me yet. And me and Denise, we're going to do some great things for God. So anyway, we love each and every one of you, and never feel like this isn't your family because these are all my kids here. <clears throat> and guys, my brother, we've been together for 20-something years, not always in love, but, you know, <laughs> we're working on it, so... Anyway, just thank you all, and we love you all, and I think you're all in the right place. No way. Uh, when I was asked to um, tell you why I love my church, I, I said, well, I don't know what to say. I just love y'all. I just know that, you know. And so he goes, well, come from the heart. So I went to the Bible because that's God's word, right? And I went to my favorite little chapter, the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I read that. I said, God, that's what my church is all about. 
Love is kind. Love is, love is togetherness. Love is relationship. Love is family. Oh, in, in chapter 7, I mean verse 7, chapter 13, verse 4 of verse 7, it's, it, it's our church. It's totally our church. And um, in fact, I'm going to read it. Yeah, I got to read it. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. To me, that was my church. That's this church. That's us. That's us together. And if you get involved in this church and you put your heart into this church, oh my gosh, your love would so change. I mean, it's all here. Love is here. God is here. This is it. You can come to any of us. I can come to any of you. I've had problems. I fell alone. And when I fell alone, I had somebody hold my hand and said, God loves you. And I do too. You know, and sometimes that's all you need to hear, and your whole life changes. And that's why I love my church, because that's what we're all about. I wrote some things down, and it says, my church is a gift from God. And that's what I feel about this church. Y'all are all gifts to me. God gave you me. God gave me, you, me to you. And I need it. I need my church. I need the people. I love you so much. My church, which is a family, has always been beside me in good times and bad times. And believe me, I've had some extremely bad times, but I've also had some extremely good times. And I would not pull out of anything if I didn't have you to help me through. The prayers, the encouragement, you know, we're all in this together. And that's why I love my church. The church shares the joys in our life. They make you feel like you're the greatest person in earth. You know, just give us a chance. They don't look on your wrongs. They build on your rights. Church, getting involved in the church. Oh, my little children, they're all mine, y'all. You know that, right? <laughs> but they're my children. And they'll come and they'll hug and just tell you what a great person you are. They see, you know, they don't see you. They see love. And you have people back there that want to do good for you because they've enjoyed, you know, working with you or being with you. I mean, our relationships grow so strong. And that's why I love my church. No, that was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. How do I follow that? I could just go float to heaven right now. Well, let's, uh, let's try to get through this. God protects his house. How many likes protection? How many needs protection in this generation we live? Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The church is a safe place. Through the years, many have tried to destroy the church. Sad, sad. There was a, a Frenchman, a philosopher named Voltaire. 
And he was an atheist. He hated the church. He said, when I die, within 100 years of when I'm dying, when, after I'm gone, he said, the church will be gone too. It'll be just an ancient memory. But after his death, Je the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used it to distribute Bibles. Say, <laughs> so he gone. <laughs> he gone. But the church ain't gone. He gone. <laughs> he gone. And they come and they go. But the church remains. The church has... And it will outlast the kingdoms. It'll outlast the attacks, the armies, the assaults, the threats, the calamities, the disasters. We faced a lot of those things, but we're still moving on. You know, we're still moving on. Because the church is not protected by a man. It's protected by God Almighty. And if God, if God be for you, you ain't got much to worry about. There's nothing on earth as strong as, and secure as the church. It's our home base. You remember when you used to play hide-and-go-seek when you was a kid? You always wanted to get to where? Home base. Because once you got to home base, you were safe. Nobody could touch you. And then when they weren't looking, you'd run out again. And that's kind of like what the church does. God provides for his house as well. And the way he does that, he, God provides for his people that they may provide for the house. And that's what Kirsty was saying. You know, all this doesn't happen by accident. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, it says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So he gives the farmer some seed. And what if, what if the farmer doesn't plant the seed? He don't have any bread to eat. But he gives seed to the sower, and then the farmer plants the seed, and then there's a harvest, and he has bread to eat. In the same way, it says, he will provide and increase your resources, hallelujah, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So what happens if there's no generosity in you? Then he's not going to increase your resources. <laughs> Am I telling the truth or just preaching real good? It says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So God gets the glory. In other words, whatever God can get through you, he will get to you. You set the limit on how blessed you are by how much you're willing to give. If you, if you keep giving, you are not going to outgive God. He's going to keep make, giving you more seed. You know, when a farmer plants a couple of seeds, it grows up to a harvest. And he has a lot more seeds to plant. So the more you plant, instead of just eating your seed, the more you invest in the kingdom of God, the more he's going to get to you, and then pretty soon it's going to just be an awesome harvest. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to be rich, but how many already feel rich in Jesus? Amen. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, peace. I'm rich in peace. When I lay my head on the pillow at night, I know that I've done, done what God called me to do. If he calls me to tithe, I'm not going to rob God of his tithes and his offerings or whatever he wants from me. It's all his. I'm just a steward. In first. Peter 4.10 in an NIV translation, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have, whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in the various forms. In other words, he doesn't just give you resources. He doesn't just give you money. He gives you gifts and talents and abilities. Some of you don't even realize that yet. I've, I've seen, that's one of the best things about being a pastor when you, you begin to tell them, Tell them what God has done, and they, they say, well, I can't do nothing. I've never done nothing. People always told me I would never be this, and I was voted most likely not to do this and, and that. And they go on and on about how they have nothing. But then when they begin to find themselves in Christ, 
They begin to say, well, I can, I can do this. And, and they say, well, well, let me try to, you know, I'll just work in the nursery. Like, that's no big deal, working with God's precious children. And then they go in there and they say, hey, I've got a gift for kids. Or, hey, I've got a gift for greeting people at the door. Hey, I've got a gift for ministry or this or that. And, you, and, hey, I've got a gift for working the computer. I can do that. And you begin to discover, and we see people just blossoming everywhere. Our finances, our gifts, and abilities, they're all to sow into the church. Like I said, I used to think that, well, I understood I had some gifts and abilities, but I want to sow them where I want to. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus is building his church. Now, I used to argue with that. I didn't, I, you know... But if you've got a good church, Jesus is saying, that's why you're supposed to be planted like oaks by the living water. You know, you're supposed to be planted. You're not supposed to be a church hopper going all over the place. You find your family and you connect with your family and you become part of the family. And you don't leave your family. You help, you bring, you lend your resources to the family. Amen. If you're living in a house and you're making a paycheck, you're going to bring your, your uh, finances into the family. You're going to Give your abilities. You're going to serve. You're going to take out the garbage every now and then in a, good, in a good family, right? Everybody's got something to give. Pastor Vickers says this. He says, we've only scratched the surface of amazing blessings that are ours through being an active part of his church. We've only scratched the surface. Just as there is no limit to God, there is no limit to what he can do in us and for us and through us and with us as a church. The limit is up to us. Does anybody see God as limited? He's limitless. You, you only have to stare at the stars for a moment at nighttime. And, and if your eyes could focus, you could see another one behind that one. And if it gets darker and the light's just right, you can see another one. That, it, it just keeps going. And it keeps expanding. Everything in God grows, grows, grows. It's alive. Anything that's alive is growing. And that's what I like to see. We're growing. Maybe it's just one person at a time, one family at a time, but we are growing. We're seeing increase, and uh, that's because God is in this, and God has his people grow. God has purposes for his house. A big one's called the Great Commission. You ever played baseball? You get up to home plate. We're talking about home is where the heart is. You get up to home plate. What's the goal? It's to leave from home plate to get a hit and leave now you don't want to leave from home plate and go to the dugout <laughs> that means you struck out but if you you get a hit you leave from home base from home plate then you go to first base and the goal of the whole game is how many people you can bring back to where home plate and so that's the way it is with the church we'll leave the 99 and go find the one we'll go into the highways and the byways and the and, and compel people to come into the house of God to be saved. We'll go into all the world and make disciples. Another thing, a purpose that God has for the church, you know, there's so many we could stay here for weeks and weeks, you know, but I'm just mentioning a few, but it's to be that hospital of hope that's on our thing there. We are a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. See, so many people are purposeless or they're pursuing the wrong purposes. They thought it was all about getting rich or getting famous. or they, they, they thought life was about something that it's not. And so we, as we teach the Word of God and we encourage one another to find out what God really created you for, what is your true purpose? And, it, and you know, if you feel like you're beat up or whatever, you're in a, you come to a hospital to get care. 
And, you know, you're, we're all at some place, and we all need an IV every now and then like we had this morning in prayer, right? We all need an encouraging testimony like we just had. All those things keep us built up so that we can go out and face the darkness, so that we can go out and illuminate the darkness. God has a purpose for his church, and that's us. That's us going, that's us being, that's us serving, that's us loving it's just doing what the church does. Home is where the heart is. The world is not home. <laughs> I hope you've discovered that much in life. The, the world is not your home. It's like this one-room efficiency. <laughs> Don't nobody care for you, really. They're just hanging around, selling drugs, sex, and getting high. <laughs> and then they're waiting for you to, to leave so they can get your stuff. Isn't that, what the, isn't that what the world is? They're, they're best friends with you as long as you're footing the bill or as long as you're helping them move. <laughs> but you ask them to do something. Home is where your heart is. And this is Jesus' heart. He prayed in John 17, verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Who's he speaking to? The Father. We know that Jesus and the Father are one. Now he's saying he wants us to be a part of that. We just, we just brush over these scriptures like, okay, okay. Man, if we would stop for a moment and grasp the magnitude of him wanting us to be part of that union, to be one with God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 23 he says, I am in them, and you are in me. <coughs> May they experience such perfect unity that the whole world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, we could stop right there because somebody will just read over that. Somebody that desperately needs to know how much you're loved, to, to know that somebody cares. And right here, we just read a scripture that said, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's impossible for me to understand. But it's true. It wouldn't be written in the Word of God if it wasn't true. The Father loves you. You're saying, well, I don't even really know God. Doesn't stop Him from loving you. Well, you don't know the things I've done. Doesn't stop Him from loving you. As much as He loves Jesus, you're His child. Well, you can be His child. His church is supposed to be people who are known for loving one another. That's how you know his disciples, by their love for one another. Jesus is in us, and we're in Jesus. Jesus is our home, and we're Jesus' home. Right? It's a oneness thing. And, and sometimes I feel like we're old lame Mephibosheth from Lodibar. Does anybody remember that story? What did we have to offer? Nothing. This lame guy... You know, he, he's living in Lodi Bar, for goodness sakes. Who lives in Lodi Bar? <laughs> he's living in Lodi Bar. But King David said, is there anybody I can bless for Jonathan's sake? And he looked at, they looked and they said, well, there's this lame guy living in Lodi Bar named Mephibosheth. So they went and got Mephibosheth, and he brought him in and said, you can eat at the king's table the rest of your life. You're part of my family now. And just in the same way, 
God looked down. He said, is there anybody I can bless for Jesus' sake? And it was you, Mephibosheth. He brought you in and put you at his, at his table to eat from the king's table. We didn't deserve it. But it didn't matter to God. God doesn't look at deserve. He, look, he looks at his heart. And he says, I love them as much as I love Jesus. And he brought you into the family. It's awesome. Don't read over these scriptures too fast. Slow down. Some of us are just read and see how much chapters we can get done a day. But you ought, to, you ought to say, how much can I soak up, meditate on? How much can I really get in me? It's not how much can go through my brain. It's how much can get in my heart. So why do I love this whole deal about the church? Why do I love the, the fact that Jesus wants to be one with me? Why do I love it? Because God is life. And now life is in my heart. Our God is love, and now love is in my heart. Love like I never knew before. Our God is light, and now light is in my life. I, I see things in a whole new way. I'm not falling into the same traps I used to fall in when I was walking in darkness. The devil has no grip on me. I'm, I'm, I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. He's made me free to live courageously. If God be in me, who can be against me? I know it says if God be for me, but think about it in this way. If God be in me, who's going to mess with me? All right? <laughs> he will never leave me or forsake me. He's got my back. He chose to go through life with me. Every moment, he has chosen to go through your life with you. He's that big and that awesome and that capable. He's omnipresent. He's an omni lot of things. All the salvation you ever need is already, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, it's already in there. Eternal life came into the inside of your heart. The Holy Spirit, the same power that raised God from the dead is in there. And now all we've got to do now is day by day, work it out. Say, work it out. Work it out. And we work it out together. Day by day, just work it out. Learn something new that, that he's already done in me. See, the promise is already yes and amen. amen. They're already done. <laughs> but we got to work it out. Most of the working out needs to come up in here. Work it out. <laughs> but in Christ, I live and move and have my being. In Christ, that's where I, I want to be. In his house. His spirit makes my bones live. You know what I'm saying? There's a story in the Bible of Elisha. He had a double portion of Elijah. He came after Elijah. And he had such an anointing on his life. After he, he died, they put him in a tomb. And, and sometime later, after his you know, body had deteriorated and he was just bones in that tomb, they were going to reuse that tomb for some reason. There was an army coming against them, and they were trying to bury somebody, and they threw him into the, the tomb. And as soon as that dead man touched Elisha's dead, dry bones, he jumped back alive. So how much more us who have been buried in, with Christ in the baptism should come alive with the same power that raised him from the dead now dwells in us? Amen. If, a, if an Old Testament saint had so much anointing, you throw a dead man in there, he comes alive. Man, you get in the grave with Jesus and you come out alive with the resurrection power of God? Amen. Man, we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live. That man, he died again. 
but we live forever. For us to, to die in the physical is just a... Did y'all get it? It's just a... It's a promotion. It's a joyous celebration. Death, hell, and the grave have been conquered. We win. The Bible says well, we all our lives have been held in captivity to the bondage of fear of death. Well, that's gone for the Christian. Amen. Don't worry about dying. Some of you hear end-time prophecies and you get all nervous. Well, you're, you ought to be nervous if you ain't serving God. But if you're serving God, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Amen. If you're in the house, if you're in home base, you're standing on the rock of your salvation. Woo! <laughs> You're getting excited up here today. And the best part is all this stuff that he's given me, this light, this love, I can share it with each one of you. It's too good to hold in. We can courageously face this world together. We, got, we get each other's backs. God uses us in that regard. He sends people. He sends people to do his bidding. Many times. Sometimes he asks you to do it, and you say, no, God, I'm scared. He'll get somebody else to do it. It was just you that missed out on that deal, to be a part of the blessing. Go through life together. We, in every circumstance, we're working it out together. We're, we're all at different places in our Christianity, but we're working it out together. If you've been there, help somebody that hadn't been there yet. If you're not there, ask somebody that's been there. I don't know. Sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> A disciple once asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what I say? Jesus, now that you've rent that veil for me, that your love on the cross has, has opened the way for me, Jesus, lay your head right here. Lay it on my heart. You got a place to lay your head now, Jesus. Bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're on the prayer team, come forward. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.